Hey guys, it's Tyler. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today where we talk faith, family, and focus in your life and your leadership. You know, juggling all of these things, it is so hard to keep track. Sometimes our heart can become so restless under the stress and the responsibility of all these facets of life. And that's why I wrote my book, Restless, Finding Rest in a Restless World. You can go to my website and get a free copy of that book, a free paperback copy of that book at tylerarobertson.com slash restless. So if you haven't done that yet, head on over to my website and do that. Grab a free copy of that book, Restless, Finding Rest in a Restless World. And with that, let's dive into the episode. Welcome to this episode of the Navigators Podcast, the podcast that equips men and women to steer the course of biblical Christianity in our culture today. Each week we discuss faith, family, and the trends that are sure to impact the local church. Join us as we study God's Word together. All right, I've got one question for you, one question only. Are you weird? There's the question. It depends on who you ask, right? Your spouse probably has a different answer than you do, maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I can tell whether you can prove it or not. You can prove it by this question. Sorry, I lied to you. I told you I'd ask you one question. I'm going to ask you two. But this proves whether you're weird or not. The question is, do you love snakes? Do you love snakes? Are you the kind of weirdo that likes to hold, handle, love snakes? Because if you are, then in the opinion of the general population of everyone, uh, you are indeed weird. Uh, but it's okay. You are among friends. I, I, I'm, I can't say that I'm necessarily weird, but I, I, don't, I don't hate snakes. Like I'm not like – I don't scream like a little girl and run away. But at the same time, I'm not like somebody who's like, ooh, it's a snake. I'm going to do what I can to like mess with it, make it mad. Yeah, I'm not really – I'm not quite that weird. Okay, so I'm like semi-weird. I'm not like fully weird. It's kind of the other, it was weird the other day. I was putting down some mulch. I saw a little baby snake. I don't know what kind of snake it was. It was brown, had stripes on it. Uh, it was a, kind of a diamond-shaped head, so I knew that was not a good sign. So uh, I grabbed the hoe and did what a hoe is used for, right? Killing snakes, and uh, but I, I, it was so funny that that instance reminded me of an absolutely exciting camp story. I love camp stories. I don't know about you, but I love camp stories. I had the privilege of working at a camp, one of the greatest, no matter what anybody says, the greatest camp on earth. Okay, uh, in Hillsville, Virginia, and I worked there for about a decade. And absolutely loved it. It was not one of those camps that was very luxurious and air conditioned, and it was pretty rough. Like it was an actual camp, and uh, and but I remember one story in particular. Okay, it was the first day of camp. Uh, first, I, th- I think it was the first day of the summer. I'm not really sure on that, but I'm pretty sure it was the first day of the summer. It was a junior week. Okay, and. All the junior kids were literally – they were filing off the buses. I can't remember how many we had this week or that week, but uh, I know our, a full week is several hundred. And so it's just when those kids start coming, you've got several hundred junior kids in any situation. There's going to be something <laughs> that happens, and boy was there. On the first day of camp, they started filing off the buses, okay? First bell rang. We would had this big old bell that we would ring, and – uh, that would tell everybody that, hey, it's time to eat. So they lined up. They went in, and we started serving the staff. We were really pumped. Our, our spirits were high. 
Um, that's why I think I'm pretty sure it was the first day of camp because we were so pumped about the adventures of the week. And so we were serving. We were we always try to serve that first lunch really, really fast and just kind of like as a staff competition, try to serve it as fast as we possibly can. And I remember we were we were all serving. We Just about everybody had been served. And then all of a sudden, to my right, we have one of the counselors uh, who screams, literally it was a lady counselor, screams to the top of her lungs. And all I see is her climbing up, literally basically like stepping on junior kids to climb on top of a table. And you, I think you kind of know where I'm going with this. But this is the first table that was like right there close to the kitchen. And so she was, she did everything she possibly, she was like throwing junior kids out of the way to get on top of this table. And then like popcorn from an old fashioned popcorn machine, we see all these junior kids, all these junior girls screaming, follow close behind screaming and jumping on top of that table. Some of them literally darted out of the fellowship hall, ran through the kitchen, some grabbing onto each other for dear life. And it was, it was hilarious. And finally we figured out like, we were like, of course, we were like, what What in the world is going on over there? We couldn't see anything from where we were. And finally, someone let us know. They yelled out, snake. And it was so crazy. Like that next moment was just the weirdest moment of my life because I literally stopped what I was doing. And I don't know if I just channeled my inner Bear grills or like what happened. But that's kind of how I felt like Bear grills just like possessed me. And then now, here I am. I'm ready to take on this snake. And it was pretty funny. So me and another staff guy, apparently he got the gist too because me and him both kind of ran to the rescue. I'm not really one to run after snakes, but I did. And I ran after – we went over there. We grabbed the brooms, okay, because that is obviously next to a hoe, right, is the greatest thing that you could use to to push a snake out of a dining hall, right? <laughs> and so we grabbed the brooms, had the brooms in hand, and we went over there. We did everything we possibly could to move that snake. And I can't remember how long it took us. We were trying our dead level best to just at least like usher it out the door, at least just like get it away from everybody and kind of towards the kitchen and then out the kitchen door so it like wouldn't go further into the dining hall. And unfortunately, we had right next to that door, we had a bread rack. Okay, there's these little plastic crates uh, that they stack one on top of the other, and you put the bread on, and it makes sure that the bread doesn't get smushed, all that. We had a rack that had about 12 of those crates on it, and unfortunately, when we did everything we could to get it out the door, guess what it did? It didn't go out the door. It went up the bread rack. So literally, it starts slithering its way up and through these bread racks, which has got holes all in it. So it's literally like just weaving itself deeper and further into this bread rack. So we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, you know, what? what's our next move? And so we're like, oh, well, I guess the next move is to roll this thing outside because uh, it's all up, in, all up in these crates. So we roll the crates outside and then the fun part began because what we did – I mean, we don't know. We didn't know which level it was on. It was on multiple levels, I guess, because it was going up through it, trying to get away from us. And the fun part was we had to take the crates off one by one, and we were just waiting. We were waiting for that crate when that snake was going to sink its fangs into us. And we just didn't know when it was going to happen. Like, when was this snake going to jump out? 
and we were going to mo- remove one of those crates. It was going to jump out and seek its fangs into us. And so here we are, we're removing these crates, and <laughs> and all I see is a tail. And of course, you know exactly what I did with it, right? It, I grabbed it. I grabbed its tail, and I pulled it. And I kept pulling, and I kept pulling, <laughs> and I kept pulling. That snake was about, it was a black snake, so it was it was fairly harmless. But it was a five-foot-long black snake. This thing was huge. It was the biggest snake that personally I have seen just out in in civil life, right? Uh, I'm like any bigger than it's going to be at the zoo. I mean, this snake was huge. And so we pulled, we eventually got all five feet of the snake out of it. It literally was curling itself around my arm as I was pulling it out. And I was being very cautious as to, okay, when does it end and when is this head going to come out and get me, right? And so I pulled this thing out and finally we get it all out and I we basically just took a stick and and a broom or no we took a that's right we took a dustpan and we just kind of like so literally a broom and a dustpan we just kind of swept it its head like in the dustpan and then held its tail and then we walked it to the woods and literally i remember one of the staff guys takes it by the tail and literally just as far as he possibly could throws the snake into the woods so that is the story that comes to my mind every time i think of the word snakes now, it's really interesting here in our study in John 3, that Jesus mentions a story that has to do with a snake. Remember, John 3, Jesus says this in verse 14. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's no doubt in my mind that Nicodemus, as soon as he heard Christ reference the story that Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, there's no doubt in my mind that Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Uh, we get that from Numbers, or we see that in our Bibles in Numbers chapter 21, where the children of Israel, they were murmuring and complaining. The Bible says that they spake against God, which I think was their greatest offense. Not just the murmuring and complaining, although murmuring and complaining is the number one cause of death in the Old Testament. So that was a big deal to God. But I think one of the greatest offenses, literally the Bible says in Numbers 21, that they spake against God and against Moses. Many Israelites, they lost their life on the account of their discontentment, and they turned against God. And think about it. God had brought them from so much, and they turned against him so often. They murmured against him so often. They complained against Moses so often. So what did God do? God actually sent serpents. Okay, to judge the people. And he gave Moses a rather unusual task. He said, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to make a bronze serpent, and I want you to place it on a pole, and I want you to put it in the middle of camp. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that Jesus uses a serpent as a symbol, not just because he sent the serpents, but I think it's because it's a pagan symbol. Uh, back in that day, it was a pagan symbol. There was many pagan symbols, okay, but it was a pagan symbol. Uh, that it, that Moses was creating, and no doubt there were probably people that questioned the validity of Moses's task. They thought that, hey, what, you know, what are you doing, Moses? This is this is a pagan symbol that you're putting up and saying that's going to deliver people, and and maybe even gave him grief about putting up a false god. I don't know that supposition, uh, but at the same time, realize that by Moses's obedience, there were many people that were delivered because if you remember the story, Moses put that bronze serpent up. 
in the middle of the camp, and everyone that was bitten by those venomous snakes, when they would look at the serpent, they would be healed. And so this was a story that Jesus recounted in Nicodemus, and he used this as a picture. This is one we talked about so many of the different pictures in the last few weeks. We talked about the wind and how that's the work of the Spirit. That's the part of you that must be born again. So we talked about the Holy Spirit bearing witness in our spirit. And then we talked about the first illustration that Jesus used, which was birth, how you must be born again, he says in verse 7. And Jesus uses this third illustration of trying to get the point across to Nicodemus, that, hey, Nicodemus, remember that story of Moses lifting up the servant in the wilderness? Hey, that is the picture of what the Son of Man is going to do for all of mankind. That is the picture of what I am going to do for the sins of the world. The Bible says, so shall the Son of Man. So just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And the fact of the matter is, okay, and this is where we kind of get a practical uh, application from this, is the fact of the matter is that all men are bitten by sin. We are all bitten. Now, I've never been bitten by snake, okay, and praise God for that. But you know, I have been bitten by sin. I, the Bible says, wherefore has been one man, we're talking about Adam, the first man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So separation by sin. What did what happened when Adam sinned against God? It was sep- He separated himself from God. He broke communication from God, right? And so death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, or separation passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Okay? I have, as soon as I was born in this world, as soon as I conceived in my mother's womb, I have a sin nature. I have a nature uh, that defies the things of God, that goes against the things of God, that wants and desires things that are against God's truth and against God's word. That is a part of my sin nature. Okay, There's no one on the planet that is excluded from that sin nature. Okay, Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He was the perfect lamb. Okay, he had opportunity to sin and chose not to sin. He was 100% God, 100% man. His deity did not allow him to sin. Okay, but his humanity, he was definitely tempted to sin. We see that in Matthew chapter 4. So, in the exception of Jesus, there's no one that's ever existed, no man, no woman that's ever existed that does not have a sin nature. Romans 3:23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Uh, Literally, there's nothing we can do within ourselves that will merit heaven for us one day. We've talked about that a little bit. We'll talk about that later on. There's nothing that we can do to work ourselves into heaven. There's nothing about our nature uh, that is godly. And so, that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. It's literally a changing of one nature to another. Remember, we talked about that's the process of regeneration. Literally, you are re-gened, okay? Your genes are your DNA, okay? Components of your DNA literally making up who you are. Well, you must be re-gened. That's why you must be born again. But here's one of the sad realities about this topic of sin and our sin nature. Kind of like the Holy Spirit we talked about last week, it's not talked about a lot. Because you know why it's not popular? It's not popular to talk about sin. I think that's what really why a lot of people skirt around this issue. And they regurgitate some vague statement about, you know, there being some bad in the world. But all in all, man, we are inherently good. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Men inherently are sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. 
And apart from Jesus, we can't do anything to save ourselves from sin's curse. There's two fundamental truths of sin, and we're going to talk about one of them today and the other one next week. The first truth about sin, fundamental truth that we've got to understand when it comes to this thing of sin and our sin nature is, number one, there is a penalty for sin. Okay, God is a God that is holy, right? He is holy. He is just. And there's a world that screams, hey, well, God is a God of love, right? Yes, God is 100% love, but he is also, and by the way, love is not just something God does. It's who he is. So God is 100% love, but remember, he's 100% just as well. He's 100% holy as well. Whenever someone uh, exemplifies or magnifies one of God's attributes, a specific attribute about God, remember it doesn't exclude his other attributes. Okay, so when people say, hey, he's a God of love, that doesn't exclude that he is also a God of judgment, right? So he is he is completely just, he's completely compassionate, he's completely whole, and he's completely merciful and loving. And so part of the nature of God is that there's no flesh that can glory in his presence. No sin that can glory in his presence or be in his presence. Because, why? Because he's a holy God. That's why when Jesus took on the sins of all mankind, what did God do? Do you remember? He turned his back on his son. Why did he do that? Because he could not look at sin. And the agony of the cross for Jesus was not so much as taking the sin on himself. It was more the separation from God. First time he'd ever been separated from his father. And so you know what? Sin is not a popular thing. And one of the fundamental truths of sin that's not very popular is that there's a penalty for sin. And so as a Christian, I think most of you that are listening to this podcast are Christians, you're believers. And so how do we understand that? Because here's one of the issues I think that many times comes up. Well, how do I take a stand? I realize that there's a hell, right? There's a lake of fire. I realize there is a penalty of sin, but how do I communicate that to an unbeliever? Because so many people, when they hear that, they'll turn you off immediately, okay? Because they say, well, why would a loving God, you get this question all the time, why would a loving God send people to hell? One kind of way that I introduce this and kind of help unbelievers understand what it means to be saved, because that word death literally means separation, I kind of magnify that. I say this. I'll say something like this to an unbeliever. You will either spend eternity with God or without him. And if you go your entire life rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him, what makes you think that God is going to force you into his presence one day in heaven? Because the reality of hell is not that there's a lake of fire. That's going to be torturous. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of hell is separation from God, literally living with no hope for all of eternity. That is the worst of hell. And the Bible teaches, for the wages of sin is what? Death. It's separation from God for all of eternity. But here's the good news, right? By the way, when you share that truth about the penalty for sin is death in hell, okay, remember, don't ever give that truth and not give the hope that Jesus Christ gives. Right? Because there's some people that they talk about hell as if they, they're so glad. As one preacher said, they talk about hell as if they're so glad that people go there. Right? 
And there's a great story. That same preacher, when he was a young preacher, his his dad, who was also a pastor, uh, mentored him and said, hey, don't ever preach on hell like you're glad people go there. And that really helped him. And passing that story on to me helped me so very much. I don't want to talk about hell uh, as if I'm glad people go there. And as if uh, it's a club that I used to beat people across the head. I want to tell people of the severity of their sin nature and that there is a penalty for their sin. Hey, but by the way, Jesus has paid that penalty for you. So don't ever give the bad news without giving the good news. What's the good news? That's the gospel, right? That's the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And that's we'll get more into it later on in verse 16. We're really going to parse that apart. I'm really excited about that. So make sure you tune into the next few episodes. We're going to look at John 3.16, probably in a way you've not seen before. Not that we're going to add anything to Scripture, uh, just in the way that we think there's so much in that. And uh, God has so helped me and opened that passage to me. So make sure you tune into those. But that is the gospel, right? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Hey, you don't have to pay the penalty for sin, but you can have everlasting life. Jesus, he has made a way. So anytime you talk about hell, remember to give the hope that is in Christ. Salvation, it's free, okay? It's free. And so next time we're together, we'll talk about that second fundamental truth. But remember, the first fundamental truth is that there is a penalty for sin. We've all been bitten by this thing of sin. We are all have a sin nature. And in order to be saved from the penalty of sin, we need Christ. So if you've never trusted him as your Savior, if you've never called out him, that's what you need to do today. But if you have, remember to tell others that there is a penalty for sin. But remember to give them the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Thank you for being our guest today on the Navigator Podcast. Please visit our website at tyleraroberson.com for helpful articles and other resources. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to read more articles, listen to more podcast episodes, or find more resources, you can go to tyleraroberson.com, tyleraroberson.com, and subscribe to all of that. We would love to have you as a part of our community as we grow in our faith, family, and leadership focus.